Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 207, recorded June 13th, 2015. Finishing off Wildstorm, Divided We Fall 3 and 4, that miniseries. Yeah. That combined all the greatness of Next Generation with all the greatness of Deep Space Nine. (laughs) And quite frankly, I don't think you're kidding about that. I think this is pretty good storytelling. I mean, not perfect, but I kind of like it. I mean, there's some cool stuff going on. I do like it. I I do think it's more heavily weighted to Next Generation than Deep Space Nine. So Kira and the station itself had a little cameo in issue one, and then... The only people from Deep Space Nine are Vaughn, the Andorian guy, Bashir, and Nog. And Esri. And she's, she's comatose through most of this. Because of the story, it took them quickly away from Deep Space Nine. So, right. right. Yeah, that's going to happen. I, I thought it was interesting seeing the new characters, or the post-TV series characters who's left. There's no Miles O'Brien. There's no Benjamin Sisko. There's no Odo, you know, seeing no these other, no Worf, seeing these characters step up. So, right. interesting. No, it's good. I'm just saying. Uh, when I was reading these two, especially, I was really missing the Deep Space Nine aspect of the show. Right. And obviously this is prior to uh, Nemesis. Because we still have Riker around. And, and Deanna. And Data. Well, yeah, right. We're not dealing with, what, B4? Was that his name? That is his name. So, yeah. So, because there's definitely a post-movies aspect, too, that is similar to the situation we have in Deep Space Nine now, where some of the big heavy hitter characters have moved on. Right. So... Are there comics that are in that time frame? The after Nemesis? After Nemesis, post Nemesis. Uh just the IDW countdown and Well, yeah. That um recently there was that cameo from the ongoing and things like that. Right. You told Picard, right. old yeah, Picard. But, yeah. But that was really Yeah. It's a cameo. I, 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 I right, but that's the point. It was a cameo, it was a short little thing. Right. I, I kind of I kind of would look forward to the full-blown, you know, a full-blown story in that post-Nemesis uh, Oh, yeah, I would love frame. it because the books are pretty good. The post-Nemesis yeah. books are good. But, uh... Right. So, okay, so quick, quickly, because we need to get to this, but before eventually becomes Data. Not in any of the novels that I've read because okay. the Countdown series takes took place after all the books. So, yeah, somewhere in between – where the books were when I stopped reading them to Countdown before it became Data and became Captain of the Universe. So, right. That, to my knowledge, they have not told that story yet. Okay, because that's kind of interesting. 
Right. Because uh, definitely they were, at the end of ne- Nemesis, they made it obvious that it was going to be Picard able to do his mentoring thing all over again with this new version of Data, or melding of B4 and Data. It would have been interesting to see where that all led to. Anyway, well, I guess we saw where it ultimately led to, Captain right. of the Enterprise, but... Exactly. Okay. But this book, <laughs> coming back to the four-issue uh, story arc, pretty good. Pretty good. Not no, perfect, I'm, but pretty I enjoyed this story a lot. Yeah. There's, a, there's some, some good writing going on, and there's some good artwork going on. Not perfect artwork, but there's some good artwork, and the characters get to do stuff, so... Right. Yeah, so you want to just jump in and so that we don't uh, accidentally spoil something? <laughs> Let's do it. I'll be summarizing issue number three, which is titled All Fall Down. Published date September 2001. Writers David J. Ordover and David Mack. Penciler Michael Collins. Inker David Roach. Colors Wildstorm FX. Letterer Gina Garcia. Editor Jeff Marriott. The cover shows Bashir carrying Ezri in his arms. To their left is Dr. Crusher with a deadly serious look on her face and a phaser in her hand. Towards the bottom is a symbiote that I'm guessing is probably likely the Dax symbiote, but I guess it could be Odon. You know, they all look alike. So is that specious of me? I don't know. The firefight in the caves of Makala on Trill is still going on. Beverly and others are down by the pools, firing up at two followers of Arad, while Deanna and a trill work their way around the back to come behind them in the bad guy's position. Deanna and Jack Crusher, too, are able to stop the two firing from the high ledge. With the two terrorists secured, they turn their attention to deactivating the radiation bomb. Deanna uses her empathic abilities and apparently some really good luck to deactivate the bomb. Yay, Deanna. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise and Defiant Bridges, the captains and crew are watching Varad attempt a planet-wide broadcast to tell all of Trill about how the symbiotes are the Trill people's enslavers. Little does Varad know, but his broadcast is being blocked, except to the two ships and to the Trill president's office. Picard says he hopes the anger Varad will feel when he finds out his broadcast has been blocked will make him careless. Picard is contacted by the president of Trill. He takes the communication in his ready room. Picard explains Varad's accomplice, Jull, is a suspected Dominion collaborator. It's likely the Dominion used Varad to fracture a valuable member of the Federation from the inside. The president says she is concerned about Varad's allegations and will investigate, but she is more concerned over Varad's terrorist group, particularly now that a Dominion link has been discovered. She gives Picard full authority to apprehend Varad and dismantle his terrorist network. Later, Picard meets with his senior staff and Commander Vaughn and his senior staff. They come to the conclusion that Varad's next move will likely be a big one against Join Trill, since his recently foiled attack would have destroyed only symbiotes between joinings, the next big attack will be against Join Trill. Vaughn suggests the possibility of a coup attempt, 
as was done on Darnak 7. Picard orders Riker to organize a global manhunt for Varad. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Dr. Bashir and Dr. Crusher are failing to revive Esri and Lenara. They identify a genetically engineered retrovirus in both of them. It affects trills whether they are joined or not. For the joined, it disrupts the link between the host and symbiote. It makes the host's body react to the symbiote as foreign tissue and attacks. Bashir realizes the virus will prevent unjoined trills from taking symbiotes on as hosts. Worse for the joined trills, it's a death sentence. Bashir and Crusher brief Captain Picard, Commander Vaughn, and Commander Riker on the retrovirus. The doctors say an antidote is possible, but it won't be ready in time to help the infected joined trills. The only way to speed up the process is to stop the infection at its source, capture Varad himself. Varad is spreading the virus himself by using the planet's transporter network. In the past four hours, he has visited every major city on Trill. Cases are starting to be reported in each location. Picard tells the president they must shut down the transporter system now. Varad's movements must be restricted. She agrees begrudgingly. They go on to make plans to separate infected and uninfected joint trills. The president says there are large shelters constructed during the Dominion War that could house the displaced people. They begin. Varad watches the large movement of people and seems unaffected. He still thinks to himself how the joint trill will be nothing but a memory soon enough. The separation of infected and uninfected people is a major disruption to the people's lives, and in some cases leads to emotions running high. Riots break out in Data's location. The Enterprise uses their transporters and sensors to transport the infected and unaffected uninfected out of the area and into their designated domes. They pick up Varad, attempting to access the planetary network. Riker and multiple security teams beam to the location. They are finally able to locate Varad. They close in. A chase and firefight ensues. Varad is finally cornered, but is able to pull off a carjacking and flies away. Shuttles and the Trill law enforcement cars take over, and the chase continues until Varad has no place to go. He plows his stolen car into a building. It explodes nicely. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Crusher and Bashir are doing their best to come up with an antidote in time, but they know that at the rate they are going, they won't make it. In desperation, Beverly pulls her focus out of the details of her work and opens her mind to other possibilities. She remembers exactly what Odon said to her before collapsing in her crashed ship. She runs out of sickbay, explaining to Bashir that Odon might have meant that she already had the cure and was trying to get it to Trill. If the cure already exists and they can recover it, they could beat the clock. Varad somehow survives the fiery crash, but ends up shooting himself with his phaser, saying he is the villain now, but in a few hours he will be the hero. In the caves of Makala, Dr. Crusher is having Bashir and Trill medical personnel put Odan inside of her. 
the temporary union will allow her to know what he knows and hopefully have the cure. Riker confirms that the site of Arad's apparent suicide was just that. Riker's tricorder readings show no evidence that he was beamed away at the last minute or anything other than being disintegrated by his own phaser. Riker and members of his strike team discuss the last thing Varad said. He was so sure about all the symbiotes being dead in one hour. With infections of the joined and unjoined, the symbiotes are in danger of extinction, but not in so short a time. Riker calls up to Data, saying Varad almost certainly has more plans in motion. Make cracking his computer your top priority, Data. We need to know if Varad has any more surprises for us. As the words leave Riker's mouth, a flotilla of unidentified ships approach Trill with ill intent. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, with the drawing at the very end, they seem to be going from Trill, and the next panel shows, like, Orbit, and then the next panel seems to show it even further away from right. Trill, and then you see all these ships. Yeah, so, what are those ships? I know. Big question mark. When we find out what the ships are, I'm just wondering why it's so far away from Trill. But whatever, we'll find out in the next issue. And do they have light speed? Right. Right. Yep, good questions. Good questions. So, pretty action-packed, huh? What do you think? Um. Yeah, starts off with the, the middle of that firefight from the last issue. Crusher killing a couple of folks, <laughs> but feeling bad about it. Uh, did she kill him, or did she, uh... I don't know, she hits that guy with a heavy stun, and yet it shows him falling off a cliff to... Oh, right. His death, oh, so. good point. Yeah, yeah. I'm going with she killed him. Right, okay, that's right. She, she said she had her phaser on, heavy stun, but it always seems like the other guys are always shooting to kill. Right. Yeah. But she says, even at stun, she knows what damage stun can do. Right. And then it shows some guy falling to his death. <laughs> Yeah, especially if you collapse and fall off a cliff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah, actually, uh, you know what? That scene I actually liked. I, I thought that was good. That she does feel bad. Right. Because you don't ever see that. You don't ever get to hear that dialogue in their heads during the shows or anything. Right. You know, with the advent of set to stun, it's like, oh, well, there's no, there's no issue. You can just put people to sleep. And it's like, well... You know, apparently inside it could do damage, uh, if not, but not kill you. And then, you know, what if you fall down and hit your head on a rock? I mean, there there are potential ramifications to uh, shooting somebody with a phaser on stun. It's just, you know, that's never really or usually not acknowledged. Right. Yeah, think about it. You could get stunned, fall face forward into like a little puddle of water. Boom, you drowned. Hmm, could be. Because you're so stunned you, you can't move yourself. Right, right. It does give you something to think about. No, oh, it does. But better than, you know, firearms and guns. Right. Bullets. Right. Yeah. Unless you're one of those westerns and you can just shoot the gun out of the bad guy's hand. Like the Cisco kid. Or the Lone Ranger yep. or the Rifleman. They oh, have the Rifleman. Oh, wow. That's a, that was a great old show. Yeah, I used to just think it was funny when I was a kid watching the Rifleman. You know, he's sitting there firing a rifle and then the guy's gun flies out of his hand and he's holding his hand so I thought he just got shot in the hand and then the next scene he's shaking someone's hand 
<laughs> it was all a misunderstanding. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you just got your hand blown off. <laughs> no, he, he grazed the hand. He didn't actually pierce the hand. Because that's a good uh, point. It would hurt. Yeah, it would hurt a lot. But, you know, whether it's fights where nobody gets bloody, which is a hallmark of uh, Star Trek, Kirk fights, uh, and James West fights in the Wild Wild West, or you name it, uh, that's unrealistic. And then all the the jillions of uh, Westerns that were on TV and in the movies, uh, a lot of times the TV ones, you know, you never saw blood. No. no, and you could take a bottle to the face that shatters. Yeah, and yet it doesn't. No blood. No. Break your face. No, no, not at all. No, it's fine. It's fine. I don't know whether I mentioned this on the podcast, but there was a movie, Heaven's Gate, horrible failure, very expensive to produce, and it just was apparently not a good movie. I never, I saw it when I was young. I don't remember a lot of details, but there's one thing I do remember from that movie. There's a scene where a guy is running in the like like. In the desert kind of thing, you know, or scrub brush, that kind of stuff, in the open. And some guys on the horse are riding up on him, and they kill the guy. And they, like, shoot him, like, five times. And so they're showing in great graphic detail what happens to you when you are shot with, like, forty-four caliber, high-caliber pistol, you know, shots. And it wasn't pretty. And it just reminds you seeing something like that that's really trying to realistically depict what happens when a bullet traveling at high speed goes through you. Man, most movies, TV shows, whatever, really don't depict things right. <laughs> or at least not, re- not, not reality. Right. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I've talked to people who were like in the, you know, in Vietnam and things like that and... They talk about, like, they watch Die Hard and things like that where, you know, Bruce Willis is actually getting shot. Right. And then he just jumps back up and kind of limps a little bit. And yeah. uh, and they're like, yeah, that does not happen. You get shot, you, you don't just jump right back up and start no. fighting again. No. Which you always knew was ridiculous. But, you know, when you hear it from somebody that actually that happened to them or they know right. someone that happened to them, you know, it, it really puts it in perspective that, right. you know. That that bullets are not pretty. No, no. I mean, I've stubbed my toe at times. It's like, you know, at the time it happens, <laughs> I'm out. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. And then, uh, and I can imagine what it's like when you're shot. Uh, you don't just keep limping and carry on like nothing's wrong. No, no. <laughs> you don't just limp on and get that turkey sandwich you were planning on getting. No, you nurse yourself back to health. Anyway. Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, you, you mentioned about action at the beginning, the firefight and stuff. Also, really good scene, I thought, well drawn, where they finally do locate Varad, and it's a, a foot race. It turns into a car chase, and I, I thought that was all well drawn, too. That was good action. Right. Yeah, no, the the Varad thing was just basically a chase scene. I mean, he, he's jumping from place to place, infecting people, but um, is that what you're talking about? Like that, that whole scene? No. no, I'm talking about towards the end of the book oh, where okay. Riker finally gets him. Right. Yeah, and then he, he kills himself? Him. Right. So that whole piece. So they spotted him. There's a foot chase, a running foot chase with a running, uh, you know, phaser battle. And then, then he grabs a car and then it's up, he's up in the air. Uh, and then before you know it, they got 
you know, the Ganges or something or some kind of runabouts and uh, and cop, I guess, trail cop cars uh, that finally uh, chase him down. So right. I thought that all that was pretty good. It reminded me a little bit of the chase scene in Into Darkness. You know, so. Right, right. I can see that. Yeah. For whatever reason, I was thinking Blade Runner because, like, the way the neon and stuff's reflecting off of the Varan's car oh, right. windshield okay. and things like uh-huh. that. Right. Uh, I don't know why that, that was what was popping in my head. Cool. That works, too. No, that was good. Um, and like I said, I I thought Varan's, you know, deviousness was actually pretty interesting that he infected himself and then he's just walking through the park infecting everybody that he just happens to come in contact with. Oh, yeah. That's, that's Kids and moms playing, everything. Yeah. That's very evil. This guy's a nutcase. This guy is insane. He's crazy. So I do have a question about the, um, I mean, do the kids feel it immediately too? Because I thought that you only felt it if you were actually a join trail. But it, well, it seemed like in the pictures it showed the kids doubling over and things like that. Did they put the ho- did they put the symbiont into kids? I wouldn't think so. I think you need to be an adult. So you saw kids doubling over? Okay. I don't I remember know. that. It, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell because they're all grimacing and they're yeah. in different perspectives. So could be a kid. I 100% agree with you. Joined trills are in trouble with this virus. Uh, I'm not as sure about unjoined. Right. Because isn't, isn't that who Varad's trying to save? Right. Well, I mean, the, the virus affects all trills, but I well, thought it, only, it, it was only painful to well, the, the joined ones. I agree with that. Yeah, because he's, he's try- yeah, he has hatred for the symbiotes and for the joined trills, but on the flip side of his anger and his hatred, which is driving him mostly, it's supposedly he's supposed to be saving the trill people, right? At least in his mind. Right. right. So I would, I, would, I would hope there wouldn't be uh, huge issues with the unjoined trill. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm kind of looking back at some of the artwork. And uh, I definitely see people on, some people on the ground, some people standing up. Oh, that, that girl with the long black hair and then the balloon going up? Is that, is that supposed right. to be a young person? Yeah, that's what I, and then it looks like somebody behind her might be a small person, too. Hmm. I don't know. Like I said, it, it's not clear. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, this guy is a nutcase. <laughs> so I, I like his pistol. I like Brad's pistol. It's a the very... He shoots himself with? Oh, and is shooting at Riker and everything. Right. But yeah. Um, it's a very snub-nosed little thing. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the pistols they used in Space 1999. Okay. Do you remember that that I've series? I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Ah, uh, oh, well, science fiction, man. Science fiction. It's old. Well, yes, it's old. But, I can't you know, be Space, 1990, Space 1999 was serving as my new show fix when, you know, Star Trek was long, long off and I was sick mm. of the reruns. Well, not sick, but, you know, you always want new stories. Sure. So Space 1999 served as kind of like a, oh, cool, you know, sci-fi show. Okay. I got you. Anyway, so it's a very unusual design for their laser guns in Space 1999. It really is just like like the hand grip. 
and then uh, a metal part comes from the top of the hand grip forward a little bit, and then there's like a, like a bar that comes down in front of your knuckles, almost like right. brass knuckle kind it of thing. Like, yeah, it looked like brass knuckles with a with a little nozzle on the side. Uh, coming out the front. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they have like four little nozzles coming out the front. I don't know whether each of those four nozzles are supposed to be like one, the stun beam comes out, and another one, the kill beam comes out, but... Anyway, so that's kind of an interesting design. Uh, and Virad's is not exactly the same, but it's very reminiscent. So I was having uh, I was reminiscing. Hmm. So it looks, it looks very small and very concealable. So I'm sure that's how the bad guy, uh, that's why he picked it, his weapon of choice. Right. It was interesting that he killed himself. Right. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, you thought he would just go wimpy and go, like, oh, four curses. Yeah, go ahead, put the cuffs on me. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell with him because he's kind of gone both ways. He's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's crazy. So in the end, we find out how crazy. And by the way, how the heck did he? Okay, so they must have some great airbags in those Trill uh, flying cars. That he could take that crash. Exactly. And- Walk out of it? Yes. Because they showed it impact against the wall, and it looked like the whole front was just blown to bits. Right. So, I don't know. And his clothes are all tattered, so he he, he took some damage. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. I, I'd say, he's, I, would, I would think he'd be only down to 10% health, personally, but who knows. <laughs> uh, is that a video game reference? It's completely a video game reference. <laughs> So speaking of video games, yes, one of the one of the original home, what I would call video game, an electronic video game, Simon. Oh my God, that's ancient. Remember that one? I remember Simon, the memory game. Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. Troy trying to figure out the combination to the bomb. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking, is this a Simon? It only has three buttons, and she has to press them in the right order. I was like. It could have just been a Simon video game console there. <laughs> That's funny. So, okay, so she used her empathic abilities to determine when the female terrorist was lying and not lying. But was that really enough for her to figure out how to disarm it? Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about that. Because uh, in one part, I thought it was actually an interesting way to use her powers. Mm-hmm. But then another way, I don't think she could have gotten what she needed in the the 25 seconds or whatever she had left. I agree. Because she didn't even know that it was more than one button. You know, first, and then she's yeah. like, do I press one button? Oh, you're lying. Press two buttons? Oh, you're lying. <laughs> three buttons? Okay, it's three buttons. <laughs> then, you know, you're like, that's yes. going to take some time. Exactly. The first, the third, and the second? Oh, no, that's not right. The second, the third, and the first? Oh, no, that's not yeah, right. right. <laughs> Every permutation. Until she got the right one. Exactly. And then there's always the risk that the woman didn't even know the answer. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it could have been the guy that just fell headfirst off of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Steve knew the combination. I was just here to provide backup. Too bad you shot him and killed him. That's right. Dr. Crusher. <laughs> Murderer. Anyway. Well, she figured it out, and the bomb is disarmed. 
Yes, exactly. Let's move on. We have more story to tell. Don't worry so much about how she did it. <laughs> so what do you think about Dr. Crusher actually having her lost love, Odon, put inside of her? Ooh, that's creepy. It's kind of ooky. It's like, <laughs> ooh. You know, I could say more about the whole shoe being on the other foot thing, but I won't. So um, I think it's kind of weird. But yeah, a I'll very good move. Great move. You know, let's not mess around with this, uh, you know, throwing Deanna in the pool of water and seeing what she can figure out. No. Let's get him in somebody who's a doctor and, and get this moving towards the cure. Yeah, I just kept thinking, um, where does he go? There's not a lot of room in there. I mean, ah! everything... <laughs> She's every, looking pretty trim in this. Every book, inch yeah. of space is probably accounted for inside there. And I mean, does he just like move her intestines over and kind of nestle in? Well, that's always been the question, I think, with the with the whole trill thing. I mean, the thing looks big enough that you know, who knows? Almost like baby size or something. And babies take up a lot of space, but whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, when he was put into Riker, Riker didn't look any fatter, but whatever. Right. Yeah, and I'm just, I just wonder, you know, how does it connect to its nervous system and things like that? So, so that you have that, that link, it links into your brain. Because well, I thought the whole trills had a special pouch for it or something like that. that <laughs> really? And I, I don't know. I mean, I thought that was the whole reason why he couldn't stay in Riker for too terribly long because humans weren't built that way or whatever. Well, if you take a look at the trill, that kind of looks like a long, I don't know, root on the right. cover. It kind of looks like a root. It's brown and who knows. And it's got little stubby arms or something on the side. And it seems like it's got other, like maybe at the top of it, towards the back, like where the dorsal fin would be. It's got some kind of little, I don't know, like, like maybe little broke off like branch, like stalk or something. You know, maybe when they get in there, they start growing tendrils or something and just plug in. Right. Maybe. Then the tendrils would have to be broken when they come out, and they never show that. But uh -uh. I don't know. It's magic. These are good symbiotes, unlike the bad guys in Stargate. Oh, they have a similar storyline in Stargate? Oh, completely. The main bad guys basically have little symbiote kind of things like this. And they go into to humanoids, and they take over the humanoids, and they become the bad guys. So Raw had a, a symbiote in him? Yes. Well, because it, basically the real bad guys are like these slug guys. Oh, okay. So it's totally same kind of thing, only the symbiotes are principally evil, so they completely take over the host. I see. Yes. I have not watched that. Right. I saw the first movie and I never watched the TV shows or anything like that. Yeah. I don't know that the movie actually... Did the movie actually get into the details of of the symbiote being inside of them? I'm not sure it did. I don't think it did. I thought it just said raw. He, 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 that's just him. Whatever. Yeah. That's what um, I thought. But all the soldiers and Ra himself have symbiotes in them. At least they established that in the TV series. Mm. The long-running 10-season-long series. Plus all the spinoffs. Plus all the spinoffs. Hmm. All right. 
So back to this, though. The riot thing that uh, that Data and Nog were involved in. Mm-hmm. If they could do this all along, just beam the people and, and sort them out that way. Why didn't they? Why didn't they do it from the beginning? <sighs> uh, maybe it'll... Maybe they got laws against kidnapping? I don't know. Right, <laughs> right especially after the... The whole Baku incident and insurrection. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe. Really feel comfortable with kidnapping a whole bunch of people. Yeah. It's probably better if we, like, let them voluntarily go to two different sets of places where they could be easily uh, blown up. Right. Yeah. Let's take all the people that Barad really wants to kill and put them all in one place. Good idea. Right. And, and I don't know. I know that when you when there's an outbreak of something, um, you know you can. You, two people can be in the same room, and one of them get it, and the other one doesn't. Yeah. But the way they were talking about this virus that it, it affected every trill, then I don't really see how that would happen here. I mean, if it if it really was as contagious as they were making it out to be, how could a husband have it and, and the, the wife not. who's standing right next to him? in his arms, not have it. You know, uh, that that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, I think in the reality of things, it doesn't just magically, like, happen that every that people get infected with things. Or sometimes they get infected with things and they just have a natural immunity to them. Um, so but, so the, people it, like, could have for, an immunity to this. That's, that, that's what you're saying. Well, that wouldn't count because they would still have it in them. I mean, even if you have an immunity to something, so you could have a virus inside of you but show no outward signs. They got sensors or, you know, tricorders and whatever. So they can tell whether you're infected or not. Anyway, I'm wondering about, I mean, does everybody on Trill live in a city? What about all the people in the, in the country, you know, isolated from other people for miles or something? Farmers, whatever. There's tons of people that are probably not infected. Right. It's just the you people in the so. cities, in the major cities. But but it simplifies things. You know, you can't be too overly uh, crazy about things. But I'm just saying, if you, could, if you can scan them from orbit and decide who has it and who doesn't, and yeah. you can beam them to the appropriate place right. with one ship, I mean, because that's another thing. I know that the Enterprise has more than one transporter room, even though we only ever see one. And they have transporters in the, um, all the cargo areas and things like that, but... Could they really beam over, you know, what was it, two, 250 million people? Well, like that. but that's not who was in the one riot. Right. Oh, you're, you're saying that if they made that as the policy of how they separated everyone. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, I gotcha. Just saying, you could probably make a pretty good dent if, I mean, they take care of the riot in two seconds. <laughs> right, because that's a limited number of people. But still, there's probably a lot of people, and you have to sort through all of them transport them. Well, you know, the magic thing. The transporters can do anything you want them to do. And mm-hmm. they're curiously ineffective when you want the landing party to be isolated right? for right. a while. It's what the story needs, man. I know, I know. Yeah. And they could have used Defiance transporters also to help, but that's coordination, and quite frankly, that's not as big a ship, so I would expect not nearly the number of transporters on board, but right. who knows. All right. Anything else for this one? Um, facial accuracy. So I think the artwork is good. 
in a lot of ways, but I think some of the facial accuracy is poor. The first time we see Data, he looks nothing like Brent Spiner. It's like, oh, he's some dark-haired guy that looks nothing like Brent Spiner. He just looks like a generic a generic face, you know, a guy with a generic face. Uh, it just totally took me back to Gold Key. There are many panels in which Varad looks nothing like John Glover. Uh, Bashir and Riker frequently don't look like the actors. Not always, but frequently. Just thought I'd mention that. For whatever reason, I had a I had a hard time sometimes figuring out Bashir and Riker. Yes, and they don't look alike in real life. Right. But uh, in last issues and this issues, a lot of times I had to do a double take to figure out which one was talking. Right. Well, again, in the fire, you know, when they tried to run down Varad. There were many panels in that whole action sequence when it, it didn't really look like Riker. Right. Kind of like when they had that assault on the down in the caves. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not in the caves. Well, I guess, maybe it was a cave. Wherever they were originally holding Esri. Right. Last issue. Right. Right. Again, who's that, who's that guy? Who's that big, dark-haired guy? Oh, that's Riker? Really? He's a captain. Remember he was a captain? Oh, that's right. A couple panels. <laughs> <laughs> a little foreshadowing. Not yet. We have to wait a little longer for that. Yeah, I did find the picture of Data you were talking about where they're on the bridge talking mm-hmm. to Varad or listening to Varad, <clears throat> and you're right. That does not look like Data. No. It's horrible. It looks like a young kid with yeah. with yellow skin. <laughs> yeah, right. good point. Yeah, maybe it's like Crusher a little bit. You know, Wesley. Wesley. But with yellow skin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and look at Varad in the same... Well, in the panel right next to it. I mean, it doesn't really look like Glover or Glover. Glover? Glover? Whatever. Uh, I think it's Glover. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I have to say on issue three. All right. Well, then we'll jump into issue four. This one's entitled United We Stand. came out October of 2001. Writers were John J. Ordover and David Mack. Penciler is Andrew Curry. Inker is Richard Bennett. Letterer, Jenna Garcia. Colorist, Wildstorm FX. Editor is Jeff Marriott. So the cover depicts Bashir holding a green vial. Beneath him, we see Jordy carrying an unconscious trill woman. And then beneath all that, we see this ghostly image of Varad. So the story starts off with Varad's final plan in full effect. He was able to reprogram the Trill's automated drone attack fleet, which coincidentally was created by Jedzia during the Dominion War, to attack and destroy the joined Trills on the planet, the Enterprise, and Defiant in orbit. Data is working on a way to counter these powerful little crafts. Meanwhile, Bashir and the Crusher-Odin hybrid work on the cure to Varad's plague. Now that Odin is able to communicate the information he had on the disease. Meanwhile on the planet, the Enterprise bridge crew are in various places trying to get the infected trills to the domes and to protect the domes themselves from the drone attacks. The Defiant also enters the atmosphere to try to get some of the small craft before they can continue to pound on the domes. Things are looking pretty bleak. Both the Enterprise and the Defiant are both heavily damaged and have minimum shields. Both ships risk themselves to take out the last of the drones. The Defiant even going as far as ramming a few of the smaller craft just to show that it can take a licking. 
Later, the cure has been supplied to all Trills. Picard talks to the Trill leader, and it seems that Varad's claim that any Trill can be joined with the symbionts is actually true. The president states that they will need to keep this a secret. Picard tells her that since the truth is out there, eventually it will become public knowledge. Later, Crusher is visited in her office by Kinger. She knows immediately what we all suspected, that he is now the Odin host. Crusher thinks that she knows this because she would recognize Odin regardless to whose eyes he is behind. The two share a passionate kiss, though Crusher knows that this is only temporary. The end. Did we call that or what? Yeah, I still would have liked her to. I still would have liked him to reject her, though, for what for <laughs> stupid. <laughs> now that I've actually been inside you, I don't yeah. know. It just doesn't work for me anymore. But it's not your fault. It's 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 me. <laughs> right. Who's this Picard guy that you always were thinking about? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or even worse, uh, I'm I'm the same age as your son, and I remind you of your ex-husband. Uh, that's not going to work for me. No. I want someone that loves me for me. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe that's part of her problem where she can't, or feels she can't be with him. But no, in the end, I'm sure it's her, her duty to Starfleet. And yeah, it doesn't explain why, why she says no, it's not going at all. to be temporary. Just, no. It is. It, that's it. I've, I've spoken. That's it. We're moving on. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't know that. Kinjir could like older chicks. He could right. dig that. Yeah. I mean, he's kissing on her. That's right. Which is more than she would do when uh, Odin was in that woman. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so when I'm a good-looking young guy, you know, we're good. And when I'm a, a good-looking woman, no. It's like, well, come on. Don't you love me? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Whatever. It's com- it's complicated. Let's just leave it at that. So the these little drones. Yeah. I mean, we had no idea that they existed until no. that last panel from the last issue, right? Exactly. So this was a hundred percent out of the blue wild card that the writers threw us. <laughs> exactly. And why did it look like it was so far away at the end of the previous issue? Now, mind you, it's supposed to be the planetary defense drones. So you'd think it would be in orbit around the planet, but who knows? Maybe they normally patrol further out. You'll remember in Best of Both Worlds when the Borg were coming at Earth and there were no starships around because of Wolf 359, but the automated defense systems tried to do something and were just, just totally destroyed like nothing. I think that was the Mars defense perimeter or something. Right. So, you know, maybe they normally patrol further away from the planet to intercept incoming uh, ships. I don't know. But it did seem, you know, maybe at least some of them you want to have in orbit. Right. Um, Anyway. Right. And and why are they so powerful? That's what I don't understand. I mean, they're drones and they're able to almost take out the Enterprise and the Defiant. I think they would have if the Enterprise and the Defiant was their target. Yeah. I I think the Enterprise would be destroyed. But instead, yep. most of them kept going towards the planet, and only a few were stopped by the Enterprise. But the Enterprise lost all its shields and was about to blow up itself. It just seemed 
they were very, very powerful little guys. They were. And Judzia, she's good. Judzia and Dax. Right. They're, uh, they're really good at uh, creating these things, you know. You know, maybe what you need is a whole fleet of those you know, exactly. uh, on board the Enterprise. You know, send those out. Right. We could have won the Dominion War if these little guys, if we could mass produce these little guys and send them off instead of all the brave women and men who went out and died. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Well, whatever the story requires. Whatever the story requires. <laughs> I believe you said that not too long ago. Yes. Hmm. I thought that the, uh, the Jadzia name-dropping was... A little unnecessary. I mean, unless this was in a Deep Space Nine story, which I don't ever remember her saying, I went home to the Trill planet and I created a uh, automated attack force. But I'm back now. You know, I don't remember this ever being a plot line or something that happened in the stories or the, the TV series. Mm-hmm. So why do the name dropping here? Oh, this was created by Jedzia. I don't know. Uh, did they just want to say, quickly explain, somebody really good designed these things and just <laughs> drop that name of somebody we knew who was pretty smart and then just moved on? I don't know. Yeah. That's the only explanation. I don't, I don't think it's a great explanation, but yeah. Well, that makes sense. Kind of. Kind of. We need to keep the story going. Let's go. How can we explain that quickly and move on? So as far as the artwork goes, what did you think of that? Opening shot of the Enterprise and Defiant and the the drones. I thought that was really nice. Uh, yes, it is. Well, some of the space battle shots are really nice. Now, you're not talking about the title page. You're talking about the the next page in. I like was talking the... about the both, but the title okay. page. I thought looked really good. It's covered up with a lot of it's writing credits, but uh, yeah. But the artwork, I thought, was really good. Yeah, it's really good. And now the next one on the next page, which is, you know, what, 60% of a page? Something like that? That's a nice one, too, and there isn't so much uh, writing. So you can right. see things more clearly. Yeah. No, all, all the space battle stuff, I thought, looked really good. Yeah. And actually, I'm correcting myself. It's actually like a 30% panel and then like another 30% panel. I thought that was one panel at first, but it's not. It's two separate yeah. ones. Because, of course, right. we have Defiant looking pretty cool, although a little bit big on the nose, in the top panel, and then the next panel down, she's heading into the atmosphere. Yep. So that was kind of cool, too, the idea that they they were able to put a little more spice into it by having Defiant going into the atmosphere, having an atmospheric battle over the city. And by the way, aren't there probably multiple cities, not just one, that need to be guarded, but whatever. Let's keep it simple. And then uh, the Enterprise stayed up in orbit. Right. I, that was kind of cool. Kind of made sense, I guess. But of course we know from Into Darkness, the Enterprise can not only go into atmosphere, it can go into the ocean. <laughs> Patently ridiculous. I, I like the idea, and, and that's a bigger ship, really, than the uh, Enterprise E. I mean, that reboot Enterprise is huge. It's supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I like the more realistic thing where Enterprise is a big stinking ship. It does not play nicely in the atmosphere, so it pretty much stays in space, you know. Yeah, no, that's the way it should be. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that was the whole reason to invent the shuttlecraft and to invent the transporter, because you couldn't sure. take the ship into the atmosphere. Exactly. You couldn't Unless land. 
Yeah. Of course, that's the part way of- it was in my time, and that's the way it should always be. <clears throat> Damn it! Yeah. But also part of the reason why they made that decision in the original show is they didn't have the money to show the Enterprise landing every week. Right. But just thought I'd mention that. It just makes more sense. It's a big, yeah. huge ship. Spindly engines, you know, and little thin arms. Uh, you know, that should stay out in space. Yeah, and where would you land it? It's the size of a city. Yeah. You know, so yeah. – and that's where like the – like Defiant and Voyager, you know, that's that's where their – you know, one of their strengths come in is that they're – they're small enough that they can land. Right. You know, but I, so. I will say that I'm pretty sure that Voyager is about the size of the original Enterprise. Oh, you think it's that big? I, I think so. Mm. But the nacelle pylons are not nearly as spindly and thin. Right, right. So it lo- just looks like a more uh, more s- structurally stable ship. The engineering section and the saucer section is like fused pretty much together. You know, so you don't have that other relatively spindly thing connecting those two major pieces of the ship. Right. So the whole thing just looks like much, a much better design to be able to endure the stresses of going into the atmosphere and the gravity and all that kind of stuff. So. Right. But it's still a pretty big ship. Right. I think, yeah. I think. Yeah. You're gonna have to have a big open field to land that bad boy. Exactly. So how'd you like uh, the Defiant going to ramming speed to take out some of the drone ships? Did not like it. Didn't like it? Okay. No, especially when they're talking about how damaged they are. Right. And then I, I'll be honest, they said that they somehow got the free, the shield frequencies of the the drones and was right. able to remodulate their shields to do this ramming. Right. I've never heard of that before. Well, ramming or ramming and just being able to shoot them. Well, I both. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the shooting because <clears throat> they, they established that in Wrath of Khan. Right. But uh, I, I wouldn't think that you would be able to remodulate your shields to. I mean, well, to me, I, I think that your shields would pass through their shields, and then your holes would be touching. And I'm sorry, you can't just ram a ship with your hole and then not not get damaged. Well, but isn't that what they said? I mean, did did the Defiance still have shields at that point? Um, I'm not sure they did. Yeah, I don't know if they did either. I know they didn't have some. I don't know if they were 100% down at that okay. point. Okay, okay. It's still, it was it was unnecessary. Now, yeah. I did like the grabbing onto the tractor beam and, and throwing them down. it descending and then it pushing it down to the ground. I yeah, I like that too. that was actually too. pretty cool. That was good. That was a good tactic. Yep. But uh, I did not like the ramming stuff. Kiss the ground, scum queen. <laughs> like it. <laughs> Is that from something? Uh, actually, it's Into the Mud, Scum Queen, is what I was taking. Uh, uh, it was from a Steve Martin movie. Gotcha. I don't remember which Steve Martin movie, but a Steve Martin movie. Hmm. Into the Mud, Scum Queen. I probably could look that up. Doesn't matter. Uh, Sounds yeah. like something from, uh, what was that one where he was the the detective or whatever? Oh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid? Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Um, or maybe it's that one when he was in Lily Tomlin's body. Um, all of Me? That's it. Ah, there it is. Into the Mud Scum Queen is from... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Man with Two Brains. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. And that. And what, what is what is her name? Uh, oh, 
actress really, really cute back in the day. Not so cute now. I forgot her uh, name. Carol Kane? No, no, no. Oh, Carol Kane? Do you think she was ever cute? Well, I guess maybe when she was young. Oh. Maybe, but... The jerk. She... Uh... Oh, Kathleen Turner. That's it. Kathleen Turner. Oh, that's right. She was in Man with Two Brains, right? Right, right, right. But I have not seen that movie in ages. Anyway, we should move on. Yeah. Oh, near the end, when the Enterprise took care of the last two drone ships, um, Uh there's a scene where I think the Enterprise is firing phasers, I think, hitting one of the ships, and then appearing as if the phaser beam goes sideways and hits the other last drone, the second last drone, and then bounces off of it and then comes back and hits the port nacelle on the Enterprise. Now, yeah. am, am I interpreting that right? That's what, that, um, that's what it looks like. If, yeah, when I first read it, I thought that it somehow ricocheted off. And right. I, I did not understand that. But now I'm wondering if the Enterprise hit one ship and it's hitting the Enterprise at the same time and the second drone ship's just not in the picture at all. Oh, hmm. Okay, but I don't know. I mean, it does. It doesn't make sense because if it's not the other drone ship, then where is it? Because they look to be kind of connected with oh, that energy okay. field or something. Yeah. Okay. So the Enterprise hits the drone ships somehow, and the drone at least one of the drone ships hits the Enterprise at the same time. Right. Okay. Okay. That that makes more sense. Yeah, okay, so I'm looking at the thing again, and there's really only two beams that happen to be the same shade of orange. Right. So they look like they're both from the Enterprise, but actually, okay, I can see that. So it's kind of like like a Quentin Tarantino movie or something where they end up shooting each other at the exact same time. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. But but yeah, I had the same exact question. Cool. Because I thought it was a ricochet thing too, and I was like, well, that's stupid. Yeah. I've never heard of them ricocheting off of a... a destroyed ship. But. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also like a light beam, a beam of light. You know, it isn't like a piece of lead. Anyway. <laughs> but I guess if the drone ships actually had a mirror... Uh, on their hull? Yeah, on their they could hull, just bounce it right off. Could be. It's light. All right. All right, so one thing I did not like about this issue what? was all of the... Troy and Jordy. Jordy. Yes. Just shooting debris that's falling from the sky. Oh! And okay. Grabbing random people and carrying them out. And I mean, all of that just, and it was all confusing because it'd be one panel of Troy, the next panel of Jordy, the next panel of Troy. And you're like, are they in the same place? Are they close to each other? No. But I don't, I don't think, think they were. I think no. one's in the dome and the other one's trying to get people into the dome. Yeah. So. Yeah, so they've sprinkled the main characters, who they couldn't give love in other ways, around Trill, and they're going and saving people randomly. Right. So that's how they got some screen time for these other characters. Right. And I I thought that was kind of weak and kind of a gimmick. And they even put Jordy on the cover. It's like, okay, you want to give Jordy some love? That's fine, but he did almost nothing, really. In this issue, and you're putting him on the cover, but whatever. Yeah. 
but his, but his his scene that he did do is on the cover. I mean, yeah. he's carrying around this poor woman that that cover looks so awkward. Him carrying her, it around. does. I mean, that, he isn't that strong. He isn't that big a guy, <laughs> and he's carrying her around like a rag doll in yeah, one like arm, while while he's holding his phaser rifle in the other. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of unlikely, unless you were like Captain America or something. But whatever. Sure, sure, yeah. If Captain America could do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he so. could do that. But this is oh. Jordy. Yeah, exactly. But uh, and then another thing about the having to give them something to do just just to have it done is mm-hmm. because all the bridge crew is on the surface shooting debris. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the shoot. I completely agree with you. That shooting debris part to keep it from crushing people beneath. Yeah, that really seems unlikely, and it's happening so often. I completely agree with that point. But then on top of that, you have so because all the bridge crew's gone. Esri gets something to do, you know, now that she's cured, uh, and she gets to helm the ship. Right. So Enterprise. just like just yeah, just to give her something to do. Right. And I guess to have a scene where Picard and Esri are in the same scene. Yeah, and also just to make Esri less the victim, as she has been for the past three issues. Right. And more into uh, the hero she deserves to be. Right. So in the books, I know that she does eventually command a ship herself. So yes. she does she does move up the chain a of very cool ship quite fast. I think the ship she ends up commanding uh, is a very cool design, as I think I've said to you before, and you weren't that impressed. I don't know if I've seen it. I thought I sent you a picture of it or a link to it. Okay. It's like it's not the Valentine, but it's, no, it's Valentine. I don't know. I forgot what the name is, but I got a picture of it right in front of me. I like it so much I printed it out. Um, it's a very cool-looking ship, I think. I'll have to look it up. It's basically kind of reminds me a lot of – it's like a combination of Voyager and Enterprise-E, but, and then its own little touches. Mm. It's very cool. Anyway. I'll look it up. But anyway, so I, I don't know. I, I wish she had more to do than just – Take Wesley's spot for a couple of minutes. <laughs> Wesley's spot. <laughs> In regards to how this book fits into the novels, I did read about Kira not having the the earring. Uh-huh. Right. Uh huh. So that is actually from the novels, the post, the post season seven novels. Oh, I guess she does have a crisis of faith and. Uh, Stops wearing the earrings for a while. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Huh. So we were right. There was a reason. We there just didn't know reason. what it was. There you go. Cool. I like that. Well, you got to love that. Yeah. No, Continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My last comment on this one is I'm not 100% sure what the Trill president is talking about when she says, although the Symbiosis Commission concealed the physical suitability for joining of a large segment of the Trill population, we believe they did so for a good reason. Okay. So, this is getting to one of Verad's complaints. So, it's saying favoritism with who gets symbiotes and who doesn't, um, but it doesn't actually f- specifically say what the mystery criteria is. Something about physical suitability? You can only you have to be pretty... For you to have a symbiote, is that what it's saying? Well, I think that he, I think that it was that they always said that not every symbiote or not every trill was physically capable of hosting a symbiote, but in okay. reality, they are. 
Oh. They may not mentally be, you know, suitable like like Virad's not yeah. mentally stable the right enough person to be a host, but yeah. physically uh every every trill's eligible. Okay. That's what so I'm that's what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. I I did not know that. Thanks for explaining. Again, that was my my uh, take. You're probably right. Okay, that's the last thing I have to say about this one. I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, a good story arc. Good stuff. Yeah, no, it's good four issues. I really yeah. enjoyed it. All right, well, that finishes up this episode. So next week, we'll be back with the Next Generation graphic novel, Forgiveness. Uh, a long one, perhaps. Yeah, it'll be about equal to the Gorn Crisis. Ah, okay. And it's a little little bittersweet because it will be the last Wildstorm. Oh, really? We Already? Finished it. Wow, the last Wildstorm. That's too bad. That was not nearly a long enough run. So they must have uh, not been able to sell enough. I guess not. Comics, which is unfortunate because many of them are quite good. But quite frankly, better than I was expecting on the whole. On the whole. Yeah, no, they're good. Yeah. Well, as you recall... You know, not that I agree with this, uh-huh. not that I agree with this, but this was during the time when people thought that maybe uh, Star Trek had oversaturated itself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, maybe the the comic book sales were reflecting that. Yeah, or it could have been that Paramount was getting too greedy and wanting too much licensing fees. Well, um, considering what they were making in the box office. And w- was uh, Enterprise out at this point, or not yet? Not yet, but close. Yeah, so it would have been movie ticket sales. Hmm. They shouldn't have been. They, they didn't have a good uh, basis on which to be too greedy. Right, because at this time, Voyager was the only show on the air, and Insurrection was the last movie that came out. Right. So after this, we'll get to go back and do some uh, cleanup on all the IDW, DC Comics, Gold Key, and some more comic strip stuff that we have uh, not gotten around to yet. So. Oh, comic strip stuff? Great. Well, we finished the U.S. comic strips, but there's also the U.K. comic strips. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So now, I've, read a, I've read a few of those, and, and they are different. Yeah. <laughs> Written... To a UK audience, I would think there would be some differences. Right. And maybe not given the love and attention to detail that we're used to. Oh. <laughs> you know. Gold Key too. They call a name Captain Kurt. Oh, right. You've mentioned Things that before. Like that. Things like that. We get to, get to witness. But we also have, uh, what, the... Some Tokyo Pop stuff. We have uh, Peter Pan Records. <laughs> so We've got, uh, we got some little things to clean up here and there. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds All wonderful. Right. But, but next week, 100% forgiveness. Next Generation Forgiveness. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on a review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t 
comicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.